Hi, I'm Jason Wachab, founder and CEO of MindBuddyGreen, the best-selling author of Wealth, and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review, comment, and share with your friends and family. And don't forget to visit us at MindBuddyGreen.com for your daily dose of wellness. Thanks, and enjoy the podcast. Hey everyone, this is Colleen Wachab, and I'm the co-founder and co-CEO of MindBodyGreen. Today, I'm excited to welcome Natalie Kringudis to the MindBodyGreen podcast. She's a fertility expert, traditional Chinese medicine doctor, best-selling author, and owner of The Pagoda Tree, an integrative healthcare center that specializes in fertility and women's health. Her journey to women's health began after she noticed how many women were struggling with fertility. True to her holistic approach, she did not prescribe them a pill and instead asked the question, why? Through a blend of Western and Eastern medicine practices, Nat helps transform her patient's health. Natalie, welcome to the podcast. And now I'm handing it off to MindBodyGreen Chief Content Officer, Alessa Pindak. Nat, thank you so much for being here. We're thrilled to have you on the MindBodyGreen podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. <laughs> To begin, can you tell us a little bit about how you became a women's health, hormone, and fertility expert? Was this the life path that you set out on? No, <laughs> um, not at all. I finished school and or university and opened up a clinic really quickly after because this is 15 years ago and that's just what you did. There wasn't an option to collaborate or you know, just no one did that. So mm. as you do with as a young practitioner, you take any patient that you can get your hands on because you, you're just starving for, you know, information and, and to be able to treat. And so I, I had this influx of women in my clinic that wanted help with their fertility. And truthfully, I had no idea what mm. to do with them because the problems that they were presenting with were not problems that anyone was talking about. And now I refer that refer to them as modern day problems because... There what are, types of problems are well, those? I guess infertility as it stood, but, you know, a lot of these symptoms that we see around estrogen dominance, so either, um, you know, strange menstrual cycles, missing periods, um, pain with ovulation, um, weight gain, anxiety, they were all sort of together, where they, they weren't separate symptoms as mm-hmm. we've seen in the past. So I didn't want to treat women's health at all. I was very bold in saying I don't want to treat women's health, women hormonal, I can't do this. They just, have you ever been with someone who has PMS? It's not fun. Um, and then, you know, they just, it just kept on coming. And so one day eventually I sort of just surrendered to the fact that this was going to be the way the future lied, at least you know, the unforeseeable future. And so I started treating these women and I I started getting very curious around their symptoms. What did it mean? Why were they experiencing this? And that really led us on this path that I never knew that we would be here today talking, you know, so in depth about women's health. And so I'm just so blessed that that's what chose me, I guess. Um, And yeah, nowadays I, I talk about these modern symptoms and they're just part of the the landscape for women's health but back then they weren't we didn't know why we were experiencing these problems we didn't know why fertility was infertility was at, a, at an all-time high so it, it certainly changed over that time but it was just right place right time it, I didn't choose it 
And you bring a pretty radical perspective to um, women's health and hormones, um, which is informed by a traditional Chinese medicine perspective. Um, and I'd love to start out a little bit more to talk about fertility specifically. And you say that fertility is not something that we should be aware of just when we're trying to get pregnant, just when we're trying to have babies, but something that women should be aware of their whole life. Can you speak to that? Absolutely. I've long said fertility is not just about babies. Fertility is about a thriving reproductive system. And you know, when the time is right to have a baby, you're ready to go and when you don't want to have a baby well you understand your body so well that you're not going to have one because you understand your body well enough to stop that from happening and I think we do put it in this basket where when we're ready to have a baby I'll sort it out then um in my clinic and my experience what I'm seeing or what I have seen in the past is women completely heartbroken because they've led their whole lives believing that when the time was right they could just take a pill and it would be fixed and we know it doesn't work like that so really being able to educate young women about their bodies about their reproductive system about their menstrual cycles for me is where it's at to change the long-term game of women's health across the board but there was a period of time where we weren't doing that and I think that's led a lot of women to a point where well I hear it every day they say if only I had known this information 15 years ago if only someone taught me this, if only someone told me that the pill didn't fix the problem or the you know, birth control didn't fix the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is sort of where my passion lies in. It's never too late to learn this information, even if you're postmenopausal. You still want to understand your body better. But, yeah, certainly um, your fertility is just, it's, you know, it's not a given. It's something we have to work towards, just like any other system in our body it does need attention unfortunately what happens with our reproductive system is it's it's the last on the list right. so and the first to be affected so mm-hmm. it's not a priority um, when there's other problems in your body your body is smart it just goes I don't need this today you don't need this to work today and sort of just flicks that switch so I guess that's why I'm so passionate about it because if everything else is working that's going to be working as well and when everything else isn't we, we tend to see it there um, and using these clues I think is is so important. And what is the TCM approach to fertility as opposed to a traditional uh, Western medicine approach? Yeah, I guess I always like to say we we need to understand physiologically what's going on from a Western approach, obviously. Um, What I love about Chinese medicine is it fills in the gaps. So the parts we can't explain from a Western sense It's really tying in this emotional element, I think. That's probably the best way we can explain it with our Western brains. (laughs) Um, We're not all trained in Eastern medicine, and I understand that. And I certainly, when I started studying Chinese medicine, I'd come from a science background. So I I just remember sitting at university thinking, what in the world are they talking about? This just doesn't even make sense. It's not even possible. And you know, I probably didn't really get my head around all of this until halfway through my actual study when I realised, oh, this is just a completely different way of looking at the body and we can translate it back. But I think what's really missing from um, our Western approach is this part that the emotions actually play and when nothing else is working when you're ticking the boxes you you know you've got all the magnesium you need on the planet you sleep well you eat great but you're still not finding that your, your reproductive organs are working well then there's this other 
element, and I think that's what Chinese medicine does beautifully. It still looks at the physiological part of it as well, but I think that's really where it, it, I say it's the icing on the cake. You know, this is this beautiful part that's often missing that we can really tap into, and it's often the part that we don't want to tap into because whether there's been some type of childhood trauma or whether there's an unknown trauma that you're not even aware that you're carrying some ridiculous belief, but it's true to you. It might be ridiculous to us on the outside, but it's still true to you. Um, mm-hmm understanding that this you know your body listens right we know this every single cell in our body is always listening to everything else that's going on we just might not know what that is so really digging into that and Chinese medicine does that so beautifully it's not about sitting and having conversation necessarily because that can be confronting as well it's about supporting each organ so that it can perform at its best and if you're doing that you're automatically Imagine it like you're ironing out the creases. That's the way I like to teach that. So, you know, every organ has an emotion that's attached to it and we need to look at what else is showing up for us and and it does that really well. And what have you found are the biggest factors affecting women's fertility today that they may not be paying any attention to? I think I, I use the word stress. I don't like that word because what is that? <laughs> we, we look at stress as being busy, running late to an appointment, late to pick the kids up, um, or just being up against a deadline. But stress is so much more than that. It's, you know, it's what are we thinking? Um, how well is our liver detoxifying? Is your gut working properly? Um, what's your environment at home like? Is your handbag a mess? Um, all of these things and more um, are stressful. And we just don't associate those things as being stressful necessarily we don't maybe make the connection that our home environment's toxic or that it's it is a mess as well and you walk in and it's all consuming but you don't know that that's something that's actually playing on your mind unless you're actually aware of it so I would say stress is the factor um, on some level and it's actually working Mm -hmm. out what that is and it's usually not what you think it is so really sitting with patients and, and going through a list of you know 20 things to get to the core of where this is actually a problem even though it's manifesting it might be manifesting as endometriosis Mm -hmm. or PCOS or infertility or adenomyosis or (laughs) just a missing period or it might be that you've got period pain Um, it's going to show up in different places for everybody but it really is working through where the core of this is actually where did it branch from why is this happening and I love that I always say can we just ask but why okay, yes, your period's missing, but why? All right, we might start to look at your thyroid, but why? You know, Mm. how do we get right back to where it's actually starting from to then be able to create sustainable long-term change? We're we're mad for a quick fix, right? Mm -hmm. We just want the, just tell me what I have to do, Nat. What's the one thing? Just that one hormone. Oh, it's the constant question. Nat, what's the one thing I have to do? I'm like, oh my goodness. (laughs) I wish it was just the one thing. (laughs) Having said that, it starts with doing just one new thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we can start to adapt that idea of one thing, not think it's just a quick fix, but let's start with one new thing that we can bring to the table to start to actually make some change and your body will respond um, when it is the right things. So let's talk about that for a minute. What are the one things that you recommend if people are struggling with infertility, with any kind of hormone imbalance? What are the first steps? So let's talk stress again, because I think this is just a big part of it that's always missing. And we're in denial all the time that we're stressed. I find it quite hilarious. We did some survey um, surveying maybe five years ago around stress, four years ago, because I wanted to see if people were actually aware that they were under a lot of pressure. And we asked um, the, a group of... Uh, 
probably around 2,000 people, how stressed are you? And the response was 87% said that on some level every day there was stress in their life. And the other 13%, they must be living in Bali or Hawaii or <laughs> I don't know, sitting on a beach all day long having a great time. I just don't think we're also, you know, completely aware that this is coming at us from every angle. So I ask patients all the time, you know, out of all the strategies that we've given you, what's actually been the game changer in helping you address and manage your stress better? And the one answer that comes up is when they say to me, Nat, when you asked me to become aware of what I'm actually stressed about and does it actually warrant stress, that was the game changer. And I'm like, that is so simple, really. (laughs) Of all the strategies, of all the things that I've taught you, that's what you've taken. But I think it's simple and we look for something really complex as an answer and often it's not it's just the most basic simple things that are sitting right in front of us so that's what I would say how can we be aware of what we're actually worried or stressed about and then ask ourselves the question do I really need to stress about that because often there's four or five things in our head on repeat that can feel massive and when you break it down and you sort of you say to yourself what am I worried about I'm worried about today I'm worried about I don't know I might have a meeting or something I'm you know anxious about and when you look at it and you ask yourself does it really matter probably not (laughs) does it warrant this precious release of cortisol that's going to imbalance the rest of my hormones probably not Um, but I think we choose stress because it's got the job done yesterday and we keep on choosing it and it becomes a habit and that's where we're creatures of habit so we keep on doing the same thing until we get this awareness that oh actually I don't actually have to worry about that I don't actually have to stress about that if I choose to just sort of stand back and ask myself "Hmm, is it does it matter so that's one of the things I think is really important the other thing and you know we all know this but if we don't actually look at our nutrition and if that's not something that we've yet addressed I was just going to ask you about food it well has to totally in, right? absolutely you know I remember interviewing um, Dr Tom O'Brien and he said to me this stuck and it was a couple of years ago and he said to me Nat food is either of benefit or deficit And it has stayed with me since then Mm. because I just love that picture for patients that it's either going to take your body exactly where you want it to go or exactly where you don't want it to go. And if there's a known problem, some type of autoimmune issue, gut problem, digestive issues, that rings really true. You can see how food is either going to be like your body's going to love you and go, oh, that was the best, or it's going to show you that that wasn't so that's such a great choice and I think if we can get back to I mean I'm all for living our life and I love food too and we all should absolutely um, you know at times be able to indulge in certain things but for the majority of the time really being focused on that I think um, has great benefits and there's there's sort of nothing else that's going to replace that Uh, and I'm again I'm about long-term sustainable solutions so we can take all the supplements on the planet but is that actually going to work long term? I actually don't think so. I like to use those as tools to fix something or to steer it in a certain direction and then let nutrition step in. And that to me actually really works long term. So it's educating the patient and anyone who actually wants to listen that this is really, really important. And it's it's um, it's fun. It's not, you know, well, once upon a time, healthy food was bland and boring and brown. Yeah, like, <laughs> I remember a, that. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a household where mum was completely health driven to the point where 
we'd roll our eyes at birthday party time because we'd be like, oh, we're those kids with that cake and those pre- that they're not even lollies. I don't know what they are and fruit men. And she used to try and get all creative and we found that completely embarrassing as kids. Whereas, you know, now I look back and the example that she was able to create was very much where we've, my sister and I have led our lives from. So, um it's really interesting but absolutely it's not brown anymore it's not boring anymore it's actually really amazing and just it's just food and if it's not food then don't eat it (laughs) if it's food pretending to be food definitely don't eat that (laughs) um and of course nutrition is so personalized for every person but are there certain foods that you recommend for anyone struggling with fertility that are that optimize fertility absolutely so again let's bring in the chinese medicine approach and integrate that into our modern life Fat and protein at every meal is so important, especially when you are looking at supporting healthy hormones. Your hormones are made of both fat and protein, so that makes sense. But it's, well, nowadays, not as much. But when I first started on this, you know, path of educating women, it was in the middle of the probably the low-fat food movement. And trying to get women's head around the fact that that was what they needed to do was very hard. <laughs> Whereas now we're, we know that fat isn't the enemy and especially we're talking about obviously good fats, therapeutic fats. Um, and that's really important for us to be also satisfied, stay fuller for longer. So fat and protein at every meal. The other thing that I would say is um, we need to make sure that, that our food is digestible. So, so many of us are eating things that we think are healthy for us, but we can't necessarily digest it. So really leaning in after a, a big bowl of salad, does your gut feel good? Does that you, Are you bloated? Does it send you to the bathroom? Just think about, we look at something like a bowl of salad as being really healthy. For some people, they can't actually digest that. So it's it could be a good choice, but for you, is it working? And then, you know, that makes me want to lead people back to saying, all right, well, warm cooked foods where possible because they are far easier to digest, especially when the weather's cold. Um, And just leaning into that, looking at what your body's telling you. It's not, maybe it's, maybe you're great with a salad and you know what, please go and do that. But if it's not working, just look at why. I get asked a lot of questions around being vegan or being vegetarian and, and balancing hormones. And I will say this, if you wake up every morning and you're a vegan or a vegetarian and you bounce out of bed, the whites of your eyes are, are beautifully white. You feel like you're really refreshed. Um, your digestive system works really well. Your skin's clear. Your menstrual cycles are regular. Well, then please keep doing exactly what you're doing because that is totally working for you. But it's hard when we are faced with challenges where your body might be showing you the opposite of all those symptoms that I, all those good things that I just mentioned as symptoms, whether it's acne or that you're not sleeping properly. And we need to ask ourselves, is this actually working for us? And that can be a challenge, obviously, for many reasons, ethical reasons, your own beliefs. Um, but just really, again, what's your body telling you? And what are the, there's always a solution, always a solution. But these little clues that our bodies serve up, up to us each and every day are so important for us to just be able to decode you don't necessarily need to go and test for all of that Um, maybe you do but at this point in time just to get curious start to look at what's showing up and and that can really give us the clues as to what we can maybe add back into the diet that might have been missing you talked about warm cooked foods and i know warm drinks are another um, very common traditional Chinese medicine recommendation can you talk a little bit about why that is? Yeah, sure. I mean, we know that digestion occurs at around 30, oh, 37 degrees, so I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. <laughs> um, somewhere under 
90 is that about right I think something like that um, and so if you're if you're if you're feeding your body a lot of cold and raw food by the time it gets to that point of digestion often if the digestive system is struggling it's it's spent already it's like I've just spent all of the energy that I had <laughs> getting this to a point where I could actually digest it I don't have any more energy I cannot do this um, and so this is why we say this especially from a Chinese medicine perspective that um, if we are helping the digestive system along then we're sort of skipping that step almost and just basically serving things up that are ready to be digested that are easily digested and and your, your gut's not going to have as much trouble doing that so it's kind of very simple um, it's a no-brainer but I guess part of that digestive um, process has already started and if you look at traditionally how we've eaten food you know Certainly when men were just and women were roaming the land, they cooked everything because they didn't know if it was poisonous or not. And that was one way of eliminating that, I guess. But they didn't have the digestive issues that we have today. And I understand that's modern lifestyle. You know, there's certain things that are absolutely disrupting our gut function that we need to, to be aware of. So just making it easier for ourselves, um, definitely. I think, again, Chinese medicine just loves the idea of working smarter and not harder. <laughs> One thing we haven't talked about yet is acupuncture and its role in women's health and optimizing hormones and fertility. Yeah, I, again, amazing tool. I think we are so lucky because we are now living at a time where there's research that's being poured into acupuncture to be able to prove that certain points do certain things in the body. And I certainly haven't had that as something I can use for patients up until now. <laughs> so traditionally, you know, acupuncture changes the way that your body behaves you might want to call it how we move chi and blood through the body you might want to look at that as energy whatever we call it um, but it's all about bringing the body back to balance and I say to patients they ask all the time well, how does this work and I say well there's a lot of theories as to how it works traditionally from a Chinese medicine perspective we believe that every organ has a, a branch or a channel or a meridian that that branches out of it either down the arm or down the leg and certain points along that channel will influence the way that that organ works so in the most basic sense if an organ is overactive so say your liver is overactive and sort of causing some some issues certain points can help to calm it down or cool it down or um, whatever we need to do and then the same on the reverse side and we can use that to actually help to promote the activity of that organ um, I say that the acupuncture points imagine it's like little a, a corridor and you know you're opening the doors or closing the doors to to sort of navigate where that energy flow will go um, and that's how I like to explain it to patients in a, in, and it is far more intricate than that but just in the most basic sense I think that gives a really good analogy of how it can you know work um, we also know that um, acupuncture does intercept the messages sent to the brain especially when there's pain so for things like headaches or period pain um, or muscular pain um, it's very very effective um, and and again also it's helping to relax that muscle so that we are when you know when the body's in a state of relaxation it can repair and recover when it's tense and bound up it's not in a, a place to do that so again if you're just relaxing a muscle and then allowing nutrients to flow it makes sense that the recovery is going to be far quicker and, and better and then in this research that we're seeing um, more from this modern sense 
you know, there was one point that we use very commonly on the stomach channel and that's on the leg that was um, recently researched, stomach 36. Mm -hmm. And from what I understand, they were able to um, prove that it does actually interact with the vagus nerve and um, definitely reduce inflammation of all kinds in the body. Now, we've never had this information as far as I'm aware before. So it's very exciting because if that's one point that we've used for all of time and we know the impact like most acupuncturists will use that in a sequence of points it's very exciting to think well what are these other points what else are we going to be able to find in terms of you know how successful these points are and what they actually do and then the, the last um, idea I, I just want to put to the, on the table as well is, you know, we, we use acupuncture locally. So say I, I use it a lot over the abdomen, obviously, for obvious reasons, that's where our reproductive organs lie. Um, but if we're also helping to increase nutrient and blood flow to a specific area because we want to treat that area and support that area, um, well, that makes sense as well. It's no different to stimulating um, through massage or, um, you know, we can use electro machines or whatever that might be, but it's the same type of idea. So that is where I obviously use it with my patients a lot because I am focusing very much on that area, whether it's, you know, like I said, dysmenorrhea or missing periods um, or ovulation pain, it, it can have this really amazing regulating effect on the reproductive organs in the uterus. You talked about pain and inflammation, huge common topics that a lot of people are struggling with. Is there anything else specifically, a certain type of person that you would say, if you have, you're dealing with this, you must get acupuncture, you must try it for XYZ condition. Yeah, uh, again, a lot of um, healthcare professionals will refer acu for acupuncture, and a lot will say, "Oh, we don't understand why it just works. Just go and do it anyway, and <laughs> <laughs> reap the benefits." But we know with autoimmune conditions, definitely, um, we know that again with infertility or um, patients that are going through IVF or some type of assisted conception. Your, your specialists and your doctors will recommend this as part of treatment now. And that's so exciting because we've never had that before either. But mm -hmm. again, we understand that it helps in so many areas. And the part I haven't mentioned, again, is that emotional element, again, that taps in. So each organ, like I said, had, we would look at it in Chinese medicine as 50% physical and 50% emotional. And if you've got a patient who needs that support, especially through something like IVF or even just conception it's stressful it's a lot and we're living at a time where we're also told or led to believe based on our own thoughts and experiences and watching other people that we're probably going to have trouble with that which is probably not true but we already set ourselves up to fail so again patients sit down all the time and will say to me well I've never been pregnant I don't even know if I can and I guess based on what I'm seeing I might have trouble and that's really disheartening because you're setting yourself up you're believing you're going to fail before you've even tried. So again, we can bring this in to help with that element, that, you know, calming benefit to basically just, just again, another way of helping your body cope with stress. And we know that acupuncture is brilliant for that. What do you think about the statistics around the soaring infertility rates? Yeah, well, again, like I said, there's a few facets to that. I do feel that we said think we're going to fail before we start. And I think that's a big problem. And as we know, our mindset creates our reality. If we're already thinking we're not going to be able to fall pregnant, well, chances are, of course not, because that's your belief. Um, so I have patients, I ask them to do something for me, and that is from the moment that they leave my clinic, is that they start to think, act and behave as if they already are pregnant. 
and it really shifts the mindset um, and really invites in exactly what they want to happen rather than what they're stepping into the office initially doing is pushing away the very thing that they want. Mm -hmm. So for me, it, it does. It just takes the pressure off, but it also sets them up to believe that they're already doing this. That we're already we're already here. We're already doing this. I'm ready for this. I want this. Is a very different operational state than I don't know if I can. I'm probably going to have problems. Don't get excited. That's not a good idea. You know, it's it's all about the I guess the negative, and that's what we're we're conditioned. We're we're on autopilot when we're behaving from that space. So I do. I say to them, okay, if you were pregnant today and you left and you found that piece of information out, how would life be different? What would you do? Would you hang around at work until seven or eight o'clock at night? Probably not. Would you, you know, your beliefs and your your choices would be far different. And, and inviting that in, I think, is really important. So that's something that definitely I have patients do. Um, I think that we're experiencing this infertility epidemic, as we call it, because as I said earlier, uh, stress is rife and modern life doesn't really allow for this to happen easily as it stands. And that's why we need to create and change this landscape for women. Otherwise, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. I think as women, we are amazing multitaskers. We can do a lot like we really can, but something's got to give. And usually it's our, our reproductive health. So really um, being aware of that, I think, starts to change the game and also not sort of deciding today that I want to have a baby tomorrow. Let's just think about the long game here. Think about every stage and every phase of our life depends on what we've done in you know prior to that so start to think about the long game start to think about setting up your fertility for the rest of your life and that comes into that idea of fertility is not just about babies and and all these things that we've been speaking about whether it's nutrition getting enough sleep understanding your body that's where all this plays in but it's just little steps that take us in the right direction and just invite in what we're wanting and don't buy in to the infertility epidemic because if you're listening to a podcast like this, you are not like the majority of the population anyway. You're already invested in your health. You're already interested in doing the right thing. So again, I would say I don't want to be a statistic. I don't want to be a number. I'm not that person. I want to be exceptional. And how do I do that? And, and you know, like I said, people that are listening are already these people that want to do better, that want to learn more. So we're not in that category of the infertility, you know, numbers anyway. We're, we're rising above that. Can we go back to nutrition for a minute? You mentioned fat and um, protein at every meal. Can you tell us what that looks like? Oh, yeah. What that looks like at every to. meal? Yeah, sure. So I always get people to imagine their plate and start to look at a, a fist size amount of protein is a good size for your body. We know that. We're all different. Again, this is very Chinese medicine. You know, mapping out someone's body is not going to be the same because we've some of us have got longer arms, some of us have got whatever it might be. So really looking at the individual. But if you if you look at a fist size, that's your size. That's that's tailor-made for you. So that works for, for um, your protein. And then in terms of fat, I would actually say around the same, roughly the same amount. So, you know, avocados, nuts and seeds, oily fish. There's so many ways we can bring in the good fats. Um there's a running joke in our house and that's how many avocados can we possibly actually eat in a day and we certainly they they 
teased us at our local gym, my husband and I, they're like, oh, these guys must spend a fortune on avocados. But when we started to increase the amount of fat in our diet, our bodies completely change and it works for us. So again, it's about working how much you need, but use that as a rough guide. And then that would take up maybe half your plate, those two things, and the rest would be um, your... your um, your plants. So how else can you get in um, whatever that might be? Greens are especially important. Um, cruciferous veggies for women in terms of hormone detoxification, greens. Um, these help to really balance out your estrogen, um, and which is so important. We haven't really touched on that. But again, I think this is part of the reason we're seeing big problems in women's health is because our estrogen levels are at all-time high. And uh, that's because of, again, our lifestyle, stress levels, toxin exposure, chemicals in our body products, um, in our water supply, in our air. We are all surrounded by chemicals that mimic estrogen, which is driving our body crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, it does, it mimics estrogen. Your, your body doesn't know the difference between its own estrogen and these external things that are driving estrogen. So we've got to look at ways of clearing that. And the diet's a really great way of doing that. So this is why we want to eat a diet that's rich in these these detoxifying and, um, and you know, the greens and, and allowing that to happen as opposed to just letting it sit there. And, and I say just we're constantly adding to the estrogen pile. We've got to get rid of the pile. We've got to, that's something that we've got to be really focused on as women because when estrogen is out of control progesterone doesn't get to do its job properly and this is where we're seeing a lot of these problems arise so infertility for example missing periods um, all of pretty much I would say 90% of my patients are estrogen dominant so that's why I talk about this a lot Um, and it is one of those lifestyle driven problems again so Mm -hmm. really being mindful um, of all the things we've spoken about are all contributing in terms of stress and whatnot, are all contributing to that. So really pairing that back is important. Is there anything specifically for estrogen dominance and the resulting issues that come along with it that you recommend? Yeah, so outside of diet, so I've just mentioned obviously cruciferous veggies. Um, increasing fibre is another really important way of helping to clear out excess hormones of the body. Um, and that's easy, you know, that's not hard to do. So again, how do we how do we do that? Again, our vegetables, there's certain veggies that you can add in. Um, I'm a big fan of I created a product actually just because I was so sick of patients not mixing together four ingredients slippery elm chia psyllium and flax and honestly I was like if they'd come into the clinic and I'm like have you mixed the four ingredients together no I haven't it's like oh my goodness please for the love of Pete please do this because it's going to really help you um but again those ingredients are really helping to not only um are they high in fiber they're also going to help to cleanse the gut as we're eating um really support um well both slippery elm and psyllium are prebiotics which are really important as important as probiotics and I know we all talk about how amazing probiotics are for gut health but we don't necessarily talk about prebiotics and they're there to actually feed the good bacteria and become if not as important if maybe more important than than the probiotics so um, these ingredients also act as that as well so you know food very often just like Chinese medicine there's many facets to it Um, and so looking at what those might be um, in terms of you know it's not only is it detoxifying but it's also going to help to move things out of the gut it's also going to be prebiotic so you know what I'm saying there's there's many facets to whatever it is that we're eating usually within a whole food um, realm and knowing what that is and again coming back to the plate really looking at that and going okay I've ticking boxes here you know I've got my fat I've got my protein I've got my probiotics I've got my prebiotics and really just breaking it down that way is, is quite important. 
So let's talk about periods for a minute. Mm -hmm. And painful periods. We've already talked about periods that don't come. All kinds of issues surrounding periods. What do you, what does the optimal period look like? What should we expect as women? I think that so often it's really easy to think, oh, I just have a painful period. Oh, I just have a really heavy period. Oh, that's just the way that my cycle goes. And that's just me. And there's nothing I could possibly do about it. I think, first of all, most women accept that they're going to have period pain. It's something that I know our mothers would have said to us, oh, sweetheart, that's just normal. That's just the way it is. Tough to be a woman. Get out the heating pad. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not true. <laughs> I'm here to say that pain isn't normal. It's common, but it's not normal. And it's an indication that your body's not happy, that there's some type of inflammation, whether that could be something more serious like endometriosis or adenomyosis, or whether it's just that you have been um, not kind in terms of your diet and lifestyle for just that month. You know, we know that sometimes it's worse some months than others. Why is that? Let's look at, explore that. Um, How is your body speaking to you? So a normal period, you know, we're talking a textbook case and that's not most people, um, certainly not what I see in the clinic. And let's not forget that I only really, I don't see the women fist pumping the air going, I'm loving my menstrual cycle. You know, I don't see these women that are like, I'm living my best life with my marina in. I see the women that are having trouble with that. So my perception of this might be a little bit tainted based on that. But a normal menstrual cycle should be around 28 days and we are a product of our environment. We want it to fit in with the seasons and the cycles with, that we live in. So if you look at a lunar cycle, that's 28 days and we're really learning how important it is to try and sync up with that cycle and that can be a really good guide for us. So a 28-day cycle is considered average and normal um, and what we would be wanting to at least steer our bodies as close to possible to that. Um, I would say that you, um, and again, textbook case, five days or so of bleeding is, is what I would be looking for for a patient. And that's also going to change um, throughout the years and phases. So I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but yes, yeah, so five days of bleeding, and it shouldn't be anything that is super heavy, but there should be a flow to that set most certainly. And ideally, it sort of just starts. It doesn't sort of spot to start. It doesn't um, flood to start. It's just, it's something that you get, you, you, you know, you, whether you wake up or you, you're doing your daily business and all of a sudden you're like, oh, it's here. Um, I would say that you'd be looking at changing a pad or tampon every four hours and that's a good flow. A lot of people now are using menstrual cups so that can be a little bit more tricky to work out and you, but you can see how much is in there and you can certainly see if it's heavy or if it's light. Um, but I would be saying that the first two to three days have this quite consistent flow and then it starts to taper off after that. It should be fresh red looking, definitely not too murky or brown. Again, that could indicate that there's some type of stagnation through the uterus that we would want to look at. Um, then typically what should happen is kind of nothing eventful up until we start to see signs of ovulation which should be around cycle day 14 but you probably start to see symptoms from maybe cycle day 11 cycle day 12 changes in your cervical fluid and what about too light or too heavy oh sorry yeah right good question well it can indicate that maybe you are deficient in something if it is too light so in Chinese medicine we would always say blood deficient which is a (laughs) no-brainer Um, But we could look at other, um, from a Western perspective, you know, other nutrients and things that might be missing in the body. Iron is often something we look at if if it's 
either too heavy or too light. Um, gut, it really comes back to gut health when we're seeing variation in this. And that, again, is very Chinese medicine. We say that the spleen houses blood and regulates how that's sort of um, distributed throughout the body. So if we're seeing heavy bleeding, we would say that the spleen is deficient. If we're seeing light bleeding, um, we'd say probably the same thing, actually. It's just not doing its job properly. That translates to the gut from a Western perspective. So, and that makes sense. You know, if we're not absorbing something like iron properly, when we're seeing heavy bleeding, it's a it's this vicious cycle actually because we're losing blood, so we're losing what we the, the iron that we've got. And our our Western hat says, oh, let's just supplement iron, but why? <laughs> There's that question again. But why? Why is the body not absorbing that in the first place? So really looking into that. So if you are experiencing a light or a heavy period, I would absolutely encourage you to look at. But why? Um, I will say this: as we get older. Uh, I think that women aren't told that their periods are going to change. So it's really common for it to get lighter, sort of in our mid to late 30s. Um, And then the bad news is it actually gets heavier, then it gets a bit irregular, and then it (laughs) stops. But that's over sort of a 15-year pattern. So just be aware. I have a lot of patients that will say to me in their late 30s, oh, my goodness, my period's really light these days. Is this something to worry about? And I'll say, no, it's pretty common that that happens. I mean, we're all different and maybe it gets heavier and it gets heavier earlier for you. I think just knowing that it's going to change and it's not going to be the same as when we're in our 20s for the rest of our lives is very important because then we can anticipate that and work out what's going to be normal for us. And if it if it starts to be something that's outside of the norm, then we need to look at what that what's our body telling us. So that answers our question about periods. Now, ovulation, like I said, should occur in the middle of the cycle so somewhere around cycle day 14 but if that's not happening that tells us so much information about what's happening within our body so if it's too early or if it's too late it really tells us what our hormones could potentially be doing and you know testing is always going to confirm that but this is the step before that you know if if we start to see things happening at the wrong times we can certainly get more curious around that um well i will say this ovulation if there's ovulation pain then that is my number one key sign that there is too much estrogen in the body so i will that's the one of the first questions that i will ask patients is do you have ovulation pain and that pain isn't just a twinge i'm not talking about just a momentary twinge in the body i'm talking about something that feels like period pain that will last for some women two or three days um, and it's not fun and for some women it's worse than period pain so really again that again it's telling you your body telling you that I think that yeah there's too much estrogen in your body and we need to clear that better um, but also looking at, at you know if you are ovulating too late in the cycle um, that can tell us a few things in terms of when your period then arrives so if your period arrives um on cycle day 28 but you are ovulating later that could be a problem in terms of what we would call the the luteal phase so from ovulation to when the period arrives is called our luteal phase and if that's too short that can for a lot of women be a problem with fertility and maintaining a pregnancy so again we're maybe we're ovulating on cycle day 18 it maybe it's too late if your period is arriving 10 days later but if your period is also being pushed out because you're ovulating later then that might not be such a problem so what is what are we being told each and every month so this ovulation obviously occurs somewhere mid-cycle 
cycle and that's when we're most fertile um, and that's when we would conceive if we want to and if we don't want to we obviously do things to prevent that from happening Um, and then typically what should happen is that 14 days later the period arrives and what we would want is not to be too dramatic in the lead up to the period so things that we can see that are accompanied with um, you know, issues with the period would be PMS, breast tenderness, um, emotional upset, uh, night sweating. There's lots of symptoms that can come at that time. And most of these symptoms indicate low progesterone, that progesterone's tapering off a little bit too quickly. And why is that happening? It's usually because, surprise, surprise, there's too much estrogen in the body. So it's very, um, it's not complex at this point in time it doesn't need to be complex we often think oh hormones my goodness what that's just i'm not i'm not an endocrinologist i don't understand this and you don't need to but understanding the fundamentals can really be a game changer and this is i think what young women need to be learning to understand their bodies better rather than just being served contraception let's say to prevent pregnancy if we're understanding what a normal menstrual cycle looks like each and every month then this information, it, it, it really sets us up for, again, the long term of understanding what's going on. Because when a variation might occur, we can look at why that might be. It's said that 20% of women of a reproductive age are suffering from PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. What do you, do you encounter this a lot in your practice? What do you recommend for people? Yeah, it's interesting because I actually can't get a solid statistic on PCOS anymore. I hear sometimes one in three, one in five, one in 10, 20%. I think we're living at a time where PCOS is definitely rife, but I think we are over-diagnosing PCOS as well. It's a syndrome, so it's very hard to diagnose because it's a bunch of symptoms. And what we're seeing is a lot of women being told that they have polycystic ovarian syndrome or polycystic ovaries at least um, when in actual fact I still think it's a lifestyle it's a lifestyle condition not everybody likes to hear that because how dare you say my lifestyle is is impacting my hormones I you know I think we like to blame we like to blame our hormones I'll definitely say that it's easy it's like oh you're just hormonal it's like what does that actually mean like <laughs> what is that we love to blame it on our hormones though um so i think with something like pcos i mean any of these conditions we're talking about whether it's endometriosis or pcos adenomyosis they're all genetic we can't change our genes they that's what's gifted to us um what we can change is the way that our genes behave and i say we're like petri dishes you know we can put bacteria in a petri dish and you can put that in the incubator or you can sit it on the windowsill and what's going to grow is going to be different based on the environment that we're putting those two same things in our bodies are no no different to that so really looking at what environment am i putting my body in and why is it responding in this way and what can i maybe address that might allow my body to work better and we're all different and that's where it becomes tricky but you know I have patients come in all the time and they'll say oh well if I do all the right things my symptoms go away I'll be like mm-hmm. pretty much that's right but <laughs> we don't want to do that because that that would involve I don't know living outside of what maybe we think is normal or um, it's too hard or it's so again we love to blame our hormones but our hormones are only responding to what you're allowing them to respond to 
So for, for something like PCOS, again, we really need to look at why is this being triggered? What things can I do? How do I manage my PCOS better? How do I make my genes behave? Um, and it doesn't really change whether it's endometriosis or infertility or PCOS in terms of the everyday. So I love talking about the everyday approach because it's not what you do at your doctor's office. It's actually what you do when you leave that counts the most because that's what you're doing every day so again how do we make sure that all these things that we've been talking about are supporting our body in the right way I guess for something like PCOS we know that we need there's certain things that make it worse say for example dairy women who have PCOS really need to be mindful that dairy can be a bit of a disaster Um, so removing that um, is really important anything that's inflammatory really gluten sugar dairy um, they are um, certainly foods that they do really upset the way that our body works. So with this information of knowing you have PCOS, you have to do something different to get a different outcome. So removing those can be very important. Also behind PCOS is always insulin resistance of some kind. So really looking at how you can regulate your insulin better. This is why a lot of women um, respond, a lot of women who have true PCOS, so this is this androgen, very obvious symptoms of you know facial hair acne missing periods weight gain it's very obvious these women respond very well to fasting and we also understand that PCOS is really interesting because women who have PCOS are traditionally the ones throughout all of history that could have the babies in times of famine because their body responds to less so you know less food turns on the body function because you're regulating your insulin better. Whereas um, the women obviously throughout history who could have the babies outside of that time, you know, this is why we've evolved to where we are today. I find that that's just wildly fascinating. Um, And what type of fasting do you recommend for women? I actually am a mad fan of fasting. I find that it fixes so many people's hormone imbalances um i say go gently don't you know throw yourself full throttle in but um crescendo fasting is great so two or three days a week of 16 hours overnight fasting or eight hours of eating um what i find with most patients is once i get them to do that they love it so much they just keep on doing it and they start to practice that most days of the week so getting them and i get them to focus on the eight hours that they are are eating not the 16 hours that they're not The other thing I love about fasting is really it it does set you up to think differently about food. Um, And it also, it just means that your last meal of the evening is your last food that goes into your body because we all do the stand at the cupboard, stand at the fridge, look for something else. I think when you are, um, you know, adapting to this way of eating, that doesn't happen anymore because you're kind of just done. You know, you're done after dinner and you're done until your next meal, whenever that might be. I, I, and I'll add to that too, if you're eating the right food, then you're going to be fine when you do that. If we're not necessarily eating whole foods that we've spoken about, then you can find that that, could, that can be a real challenge um, for fasting because you just don't have that sustainability. So I really love this idea though, the 16 hours overnight. We know that the research suggests that anything over 12 hours starts to become beneficial, but the optimum is around 16, especially for hormone balance. Um, but even practicing 12 hours overnight can have some pretty amazing um, impact on the body. And what I also love is that it's not just what we're eating, it's when we're eating when we look at this. So the recovery really happens in that time that we're not 
eating, you know, repair of our digestive system, um, making our hormones. We know that things like serotonin and dopamine, 90% of those are actually made in the gut. How are we making that properly if we're constantly full? We're not. So this can be a game changer for people who are suffering from things like anxiety, depression, insomnia. Um, their body's not working properly. If we're giving the body a chance to actually work optimally, things just work better. Um, the other thing I find is a lot of I find a lot of parents get concerned, especially for young women, when we start to talk about fasting. I actually find that it sets up an opposite response to what we think in terms of eating disorders and, and there's just a different thought for food and it's it's a very positive thought for food. I find it's, you know, you get very excited about your meal and when it's coming and it, your taste buds are different. Everything is just different. So really encouraging um, women to do that when the time's right. What I would say, however, is women under 18 years of age, your hormones haven't quite balanced out yet. So if you're experiencing PCOS-type symptoms, um, I would probably check in with obviously the you know your nutrition and your lifestyle and your stress and these everyday things that I speak about I wouldn't get too concerned however until around that age of 18 because that's when we see things should have balanced out and if they haven't that's when I would act I wouldn't act on um, a 16 year old that had a missing period outside of those factors of diet and lifestyle I think that's really important but I wouldn't be you know investigating too much at that point um, until their hormones have had a chance to do what they're supposed to do and then we can start to look into that further if they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Now a huge piece of this that we haven't touched on yet is birth control. Yes. Um, women who are interested in birth control, women who are getting off of birth control and having trouble adjusting back to a cycle. First of all, can you tell us about what you recommend for birth control for women? So someone I was interviewing with the other day said, oh, you're anti-birth control. And I said, hang on a minute. No, back up. I'm not anti-birth control. Where I have an issue is that it's prescribed for everything from acne to ovulation pain, PMS, missing periods, painful periods, heavy periods. Like it's, we're using birth control to, inverted commas, treat something that it actually can't treat and this is where I get a little bit upset is we're prescribed it as if that's the solution and then that's it that's all we're given and we're not given the information of the long-term effects of contraception we're not told that it's not actually fixing a problem the amount of women that I see that are feel totally um, I guess ripped off <laughs> for a better lack of a better term by not being given the information that they're not actually having a period whilst they're using birth control, it's outstanding. But most women believe that they're still they're still having a period. It's not a period. It's just a withdrawal bleed. Your hormones aren't doing anything other than being flatlined whilst you're on the pill especially or the oral contraceptive pill. So I think having the information, that's where I get upset, is that we're not given all of that at the time that it's prescribed. And what aren't we doing? We're not looking at the but why again. Why are you being prescribed this? So it's one thing to make an informed choice and use contraception to not have a baby. 
That's what it's there for. That's what it's designed to do. It's another thing to use it to treat something that it can't treat. And that's why I get upset. And I'm excited for the day that we can go to our doctor and they can prescribe this for us. And they can also say, but here's all the things that you can do if you choose to take it that's going to support your body in doing that. Now, where the challenge lies is that we're all going to respond differently based on our genetics, based on our gut health, based on our liver, all these things we've been talking talking about we can't know how you're going to respond until you take it and for some women they can find that it's a disaster they can find that you know it it causes all sorts of problems emotional problems depression anxiety weight gain Um, it can cause digestive issues headaches heavy bleeding all sorts of things Um, we're not told this necessarily and we can't know this like I said so we, I guess we, for many women, it's a bit of trial and error to work out what's going to work for us. But at, at least trying to support your body whilst you're doing that, I think is really important. The pill is bossy or any of the, when I say the pill, I'm talking about all synthetic hormones, whether it's a Marina or an Implanon, it's bossy. It's designed to come and pull rank and say, listen here, hormones, we're not doing this anymore. We're doing it my way. And so very often it can be near impossible to override that with these everyday principles that we're talking about however it still counts so we must do these things even more so if we are choosing to use birth control of some description Um, I will say this there is nothing more empowering than understanding your cycle as a woman there's nothing and you know I see the patients that say oh if only I knew this I've never known my menstrual cycle I don't even know what ovulation is and they feel really mad and at themselves for not knowing and I would say please don't do that because if you've never known that that's not your fault but let's start to get curious and see what your body is actually showing us in terms of your cycle and in terms of that you know what's happening each and every day of your cycle and that's going to reveal to you so much but whilst you're taking the pill you can't know this either so it's hard because we're living at a time where you know you might have been on the pill since you were 16 you're now 26 and you're not even sure what your body is capable of Um, start with these things that we've been talking about and at least then get more information around you know what what are the alternatives what's going to work for you is there an alternative there might not be but it's certainly not fixing a problem and what do you recommend to women who don't want to be on a hormonal birth control so first of all like i said understanding your cycle for conception or contraception is a game changer and i get looked at by mothers of teenage women or girls all the time that look at me like horrified like how dare you and I think oh gosh it's such important information I have been with my husband for 15 years I have two babies they were conceived the both months that we tried and I don't say this to brag I say this because if I can't do this then we're in trouble because I'm teaching women how to do this right (laughs) so I don't say it for any other reason than to be an example but I don't want any more babies I understand my menstrual cycle I know when I'm fertile I know when I'm not and I mean, I really don't want any more babies. So I'm very diligent in being aware of that and, and doing what I need to do to prevent that from happening. And I'm testament to the fact that this works. Now, there are devices out there that can track this for us now that have total accuracy, um, some of them 99.4% accuracy in determining when, when you're fertile and when you're not. That's amazing. You don't even have to... There's no guess factor, really, tiny bit, 0.6%. So... You know, there's things that can help us um, to understand this. But what I would say to that teenage mother is, first of all, before we're using anything that's going to change 
um, and for some women never get back that regularity to their menstrual cycle, please let's just learn about this first. Please let a, a young girl understand her cycle. That is just so such a gift and so important. And then I would also say that the you know young girls that are using birth control, I have issues with that because we're using it to prevent pregnancy but if these girls aren't having protected sex this is a massive conversation to be having because STDs are a huge issue when it comes to fertility and I see these women again that were like if only I knew this when I was a young woman then my life would be very different so protection for anyone who's sexually active of a young age is so important and that's going to also prevent pregnancy as well you know um, barrier methods are very effective condoms are very effective so I think looking into that and having that conversation is really, really important. Um, and then, you know, there are a percentage that that's still not enough for. And I guess we could look at something like the copper IUD that doesn't have any synthetic hormones. Um, and for most women, it's tricky because it, it is a bigger device. So for younger women, it's not ideal. It's, it's, a, it's ideal for, um, I guess, especially after having babies, but for, um, I guess, women that are in their 20s and beyond because our uteruses are developed by that point in time. Um, but then it's not complication free. Um, they can migrate to other areas of the body. Um, they can they can cause issues with our zinc levels because they're copper, so they can they can rob the body of essential zinc, um, and can be an issue for women who have thyroid issues. So again, how about we monitor this? How about if you're using the pill or you're using the IUD? How about being the advocate in your body in your life and and saying, all right, I'm I'm going to. I'm going to look into having a copper IUD, but I'm going to have a an ultrasound every six months, one year, to make sure it's in the right spot. I'm going to get my hormone levels checked. I'm going to look at my my you know vitamin and mineral stores, and I'm just going to keep on top of this. And if something starts to change, well, then I need to act. And I think if we did that, it's it's really different, and we're empowering ourselves, but we're also again we're collating information and we're just monitoring and watching. But this doesn't happen for anything in you know. I know this is completely off topic, but it was made aware to me that even things like breast implants can cause massive issues with our hormones and our body function and inflammation. And no one's monitoring this. Who's going mm-hmm. and getting regular checkups? Mm-hmm. So no matter what it is, whether it's a marina, an IUD, an implanon, breast implants, please let's monitor, let's check, let's make sure our body is working all the time and working to the best of its ability. And how much can we influence that with the everyday um, to really get the most out of it. I think that's a, a different conversation. It seems that people have become a lot more aware of their periods and of hormones around that time. And yet perimenopause is this area that it's still not really being discussed, that women aren't really understanding what's going on there, what's happening, what's changing in their bodies as they're getting into perimenopause. What do you recommend for women who are starting out that phase of their journey who might be out of the worrying about? Sure. So I don't say this to shock anybody. I just think, again, we're missing all the information. Perimenopause starts at around 35. So some women will freak out hearing that, and I don't want you to do that. (laughs) I want you to just have the information. It's all about the information. We're not here to tell anyone what to do. We're here to just serve up info because certain things are going to resonate with certain people. So, um, you know, if you are 35 and you're yet to have children, it's all about preserving your fertility for as long as you possibly can. But that doesn't actually change, really, when you think about everything we're talking about here, because that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to optimise your body function every step of the way. So 
learning that that starts to happen at around 35, I think we can, again, we're constantly going through phases. Chinese medicine looks at the phases being every seven to eight years. So, and if you think about this for a woman, every seven to eight years, we are changing. And so we look at 35 being the next phase that we change. And this is when, like like I said before, periods become a little bit lighter. Um, Our body starts to change in terms of, of, uh, its fertility uh, it's supposed to do that it doesn't mean that we hit <laughs> perimenopause and it, that's it um, you can be in perimenopause for 15 years uh, and if your body's happily doing that then amazing you know we're, wow. it's all about supporting that so I just think it's understanding that things are going to change uh, we're gonna we start to get different life perspective as well our hormones start to decline um, because they're supposed to do that because we're supposed to move into the next phase of our our life during that time I really don't think we speak about it enough I think we put 35 to 55 just in one big cat actually I think it's 30 to 50 I want to change that (laughs) 30 to 50 in a category where it's just like oh well that's that next phase and it's not um it's constantly changing and it's going to be different for everybody so just being aware of that being aware of um you know if you have children or if you don't again how that's impacting your body there's so much conversation that needs to be had that hasn't been had around that phase of our lives because i think we lump it into one big category of 20 years just doing the same thing being busy you know working doing you know surviving I guess um and I think that yeah we need to talk about the fact that things do change and much like how people expect to have heavy painful periods I think they also expect to have really disastrous menopause that's night flashes and um hot and hot flashes and night sweats I'm sorry and um just a very very difficult phase do you believe that that is the way it has to be no of course not no more than we should have period pain or um I don't know acne um as a teen I guess that's another one it's like oh well you're a teenager so you must have acne (laughs) no um absolutely it's another phase it's another transition and the reason that we're finding it so difficult and so many women are suffering is again because of this excess estrogen that is you know we're, we're all subject to so again it becomes how do we help our bodies to transition better and it 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 doesn't I say this in you know in many of my books is that I don't I don't it doesn't really change the everyday doesn't change whether you're 16 or 66 the same nutrients are required the same habits around sleeping are required so none of this changes as such we might need to slightly tweak it um, depending on how we're feeling but these things are really important I would say that the reason we're finding that women are experiencing horrible menopause more than ever before is because of this estrogen and because of stress and what it does to estrogen our adrenals are supposed to take on the role of the ovaries at menopause and it's almost like our ovaries are so wanting to pass that job on but our adrenals are so overworked constantly secreting our stress hormones that the adrenals are going you've got to be kidding me today I cannot do this today come back and try again in another week come back and try in another week and this can see women in menopause, I can see patients in menopause for 10 years. The minute I start to address their adrenal health and their stress levels, that's when they transition. But it's it's almost like they're stuck in limbo and I don't want that to happen. So again, how do we set ourselves up for the long game? What do we do now to make sure that that next phase is, is better, that it's not 
not torture, that it's not full of, of mood swings and, and heavy periods and, and um, night sweats. And, and we can do that by everything we've been talking about already. So Nat, what gets you excited in the morning? Oh, oh, so many things. I just, I feel so blessed to be able to speak to women about their health. At the moment, I'm so excited about speaking to young women because I feel it's a big piece of the puzzle that's been missing for a really long time. I feel like, I know I certainly didn't get the information that I needed to piece it together and my mum did a great job I would say absolutely she did everything that she knew how but it was not it wasn't an openly talked about subject in the home Um, that wasn't acceptable to do that in most Mm -hmm. homes that I knew Um, it's certainly when there's certain religious um, influence it can be something that's taboo that we just can't talk about the facts and so I for me at the moment it's about speaking the truth and the facts to young women that's getting me excited at the moment I think because I can see how we can fix it before it's broken we can have our finger on the pulse we can look at variation we can get curious around our our reproductive health and our sexuality and we should be doing this from the minute that girls start asking us questions I mean we don't have to dive into it there's a process there's a facts can come as they're needed but you know, I'm, I mean, my daughter's 10, so I'm going through this myself at the moment. And I really feel like I'm so excited because leading her through this and then for the rest of her life and leading by example, um, that is is absolutely going to potentially change the landscape of women's health because we're talking about it. Um, but we don't have to do this on our own anymore. We can collectively come together and support each other with that. I just think that, like I said, we skirt around the facts. You know, kids might ask us, oh, how was I made? Or where did I come from? (laughs) And I know that Olivia just had her sex ed um, classes uh, maybe four or five weeks ago. It was a very funny conversation because we've always maintained, oh, mum has eggs, dad has sperm. So she's got that much. (laughs) And they were very tactful in the way that they spoke about it, really truthful in the information. Don't hide anything, but it's appropriate. It's age appropriate and always being age appropriate I think is really important so they just talked about the fact that the lining comes away every month and there's an egg that's sitting there and it's released and that's what the sperm will fertilize and so nothing graphic nothing you know just the facts and what was really interesting is we came home after that and she's sitting there and you can see a little brain ticking over and she says so dad has sperm and you have eggs and she's like I have eggs I said yes And she said, so how does the sperm get to the egg? And I'm like, oh, right, well, that's something that mum and dad would choose if we wanted to make that happen. We need to spend time together and then, you know, that that the sperm can make its way to the egg and that's called conception. And she was like, oh, right. And then she looks at me and my little, my six-year-old yells at, yeah, that's when you got to like hug and kiss and stuff. And, and, you know, we all have a bit of a giggle. But then my my 10-year-old says to me, hang on, wait. She goes, you could have a you can make a baby today. And I said, well, if I was ovulating, I could make a baby. If that egg was being released, we could make a baby. (laughs) And she was not horrified at all about that. She was horrified about the fact that I could fall pregnant and I wasn't doing this and I wasn't giving her a sister. That's all she cared about. (laughs) She didn't care about. But what I think as adults is that our experience especially our sexual experience is tied up with emotion for a a young woman of 10 or 12 or even 14 they've not had that experience so the facts are just the facts and it 
it's very interesting. We're more uncomfortable than they are in talking about this. So it's actually up to us as this next generation that are educating these young women to just present the facts. And if we can stick to that, it's not a horrible conversation. It's actually a really lovely conversation. And we can continue to have this to educate and empower and inspire these women or these young women to be the best version of themselves. And that to me, that gets me out of bed in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) What keeps you up at night? Yeah, that too. (laughs) Um, I guess... You know, I'm all about sharing as much information as possible. And like I said, I don't want to preach to anybody. That's so not my intention. I just want us to get curious. I want us to be asking ourselves questions. Are we are we a good example? Are we presenting the best? You know, I know for me, like I said earlier, my mother in terms of health and the way she approached our health was very holistic and very alternative at the time. And I strayed away from that. Certainly um, when I moved out of home and there was fast food outlets around the corner that I'd never even seen before. And you know, that was so, to me, I was like, I'm living my best life now. I can eat whatever I want. And I was that girl that very quickly found herself with excruciating period pain and terrible skin and weight gain. And eventually I put the dots together and I I got back to what I knew was ingrained in me as how I needed to live for me to actually function optimally. And that wasn't because mum preached that that was because that's what the example was for me and I I I knew that you know it was my intuition that knew that but also I'd I'd seen that as an amazing example so mothers ask me all the time how do I make my daughter do x y or z I'm like you can't make your daughter do x y or z you need to be an example we need to just serve up information as we can and let her make the decision but by you telling her what to do I I don't know about you, but I remember being a teenager. I'm going to do the exact opposite of what you told me to do. So it's just about, it's about serving the facts up. So, you know, what keeps me up at night is writing information, sharing information, looking at different ways of doing this um, that is in that same vein of not preaching, just sharing. What advice would you give your 20-something self? Oh, I look back at my 20s and just feel like I lived it for everybody else other than myself it was about pleasing everybody else it was you know there was a lot of I look back and feel a lot of guilt not guilt now but at the time I had a lot of guilt Um, and again it was because of the same things we're talking about and I didn't have the information that I needed and I felt guilty for the trial and error of my life where I think that that's just what it's about but again coming together as women especially and supporting each other through all ages and stages we wouldn't that wouldn't be a thing if I had that collective support and I don't know why we've moved away from this I watch women go through IVF or go through miscarriage and they do it alone no one's talking about it there's no support they are ashamed to talk about it they think that I don't actually know why I really can't I'm still trying to work out where we went wrong where did someone make a choice that it wasn't okay that as women we just had to be quiet not talk about it that was going to be the solution you know push it under the carpet like it didn't happen we don't need to do that anymore we're living at a time where it is so okay to talk about it that we must come together as women and support each other and I really think that if you think back once upon a time when we lived in villages that conversation would have just been normal Mm -hmm. and someone within that collective had an answer 
or a solution or the support. But really coming back to that and, and collaborating and supporting each other as women, no matter what age or stage, I think that that's something that I'm really keen to see us get back to. And the more that we can do that, the more we can talk about it and share, the closer we are to doing that. We don't need to suffer in silence. We're all in this together, whether it's miscarriage, IVF, painful periods or feeling crazy every month. We're all doing it. So we need to talk about it. Wonderful, Nat. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun to talk to you. Terrific. We really enjoyed it. Thanks for sharing all the information. 